this is Steve with Life Worth Living. On last week's podcast, we, we talked about this question, is it comforting to us that God gets angry? It's a question I've never really stopped to answer for myself, and really, quite frankly, I've always been a little bit uh, on the worried side whenever I think about God's anger, and I certainly don't like to read in the Bible about God's anger, even think about it. But as I began to study in Isaiah 10, I began to realize how comforting it is that God gets angry. It's comforting to me because he gets angry with many of the things that I get angry about. I get angry whenever someone is bullied or abused. Guess what? God gets even angrier. He gets angry with prideful, arrogant people who oppress others. He gets angry with boldly irreverent people or those who oppress the helpless. People who are always taking praise instead of giving out praise, especially giving praise to God. And last week we talked about this the fact that God helps the helpless. Thank goodness for that. He has grace for the humble, but he opposes the proud. And, and, and the way he... He opposes the proud is through his wrath, through his anger. So, so yes, I am very, very comforted by the fact that God gets angry. And today we're going to look at why it's so comforting that he gets angry. Because he acts upon his anger. He acts upon his emotions. So today we're going to look at this question also of how God's emotions benefit us. And we're going to continue to look in Isaiah 10 starting in verse 20. And I'm going to read, starting right here, Isaiah 10, verse 20. In that day, the remnant of Israel, the survivors of Jacob, will no longer rely on him who struck them down. Man, I tell you what, I that, that victim's mentality that uh, I, I have no control over my circumstances or situations, and I am going to rely on the one who's striking me down. Let's say, for instance, that you have a boss, a tyrant of a boss. And even though you despise your boss, you don't like working for him or her. You continue to rely upon them because you need an income. And so many of us, both physically and spiritually, we rely on the one who has struck us down. If we're not careful, we can carry that victim's mentality the rest of our lives and always be in a position of no power of no authority over ourselves and always relying on the on our oppressor and i'll I'll, sh- I'll share with you an attitude that kind of demonstrates this an attitude that we probably all have at times that we've overlooked and it's an attitude of a victim's mentality it's this i'm not going to be happy until i'm healthy let's say you're sick you're in the hospital, and you're saying, there's no way I'm ever going to be happy until I get over this this handicap, this injury, this disease, whatever it is. Guess what? When you have that attitude, you're relying on the one who has struck you down. Your joy is not contingent on your health. Your joy comes from God. It's totally sourced outside of your circumstance. You might say, I'm not going to be happy until I get out of this marriage that I'm in, or I, I'm not going to be happy until I get a bigger bonus, or I'm not going to be happy until I have a second car, until this need is taken care of. That's a victim's mentality, and God doesn't want you to live that way. 
Don't rely on the enemy who has struck you down. Let's read on. It says, but will truly, I'll read the whole verse here. In that day, the remnant of Israel, the survivors of Jacob, will no longer rely on him who struck them down, but will truly rely on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. How do you stop being a victim to your circumstances and, and things that you face? By relying on God. And it says in this verse, in fact, it says, will truly rely on the Lord. Some people say, oh yeah, I have faith in God. I trust God. Yeah, he's, I, I pray to God. But this verse says that you truly rely on God. What does that mean? To truly rely on God means you are God confident. You are God. It's not a passive trust. It's an active trust. God confident. What does a God confident person say first thing in the morning? They roll out of bed. They sit up and they say, God will take care of this problem that I have today or these problems. God is going to take care of my problems. That's a God-confident person. That's, one, that's someone who truly relies on the Lord. So how can you tell if you aren't relying on the Lord as you should? Well, if you're fearful, a clear indication that you're not trusting God, actively trusting God, a God-confident person, you're fearful. Another sign would be that you doubt, constantly doubt God. You doubt yourself, you doubt God, you doubt your life, you doubt your future. You're not God-confident. You're not truly relying on God. If you're hopeless, if you're discouraged, these are signs that you're not God-confident. I challenge you tomorrow morning when you wake up, even before you get up, open your eyes and you say, God is going to take care of my problems. You will truly be relying on God if you can confidently say that. Verse 22, a remnant will return. A remnant of Jacob will return to the mighty God. What's a remnant? That's a part of, a piece of, a small subset of a larger group. And that leads me to this question. Are you a church goer or are you a Christian? And what do I mean by a Christian? I mean an imitator of Christ. A, a, a person who's trying to mimic the example that Jesus gives for us to live day in and day out. I tell you what, we, you could have the biggest church in the world, biggest church in the world, and only a remnant of those churchgoers are going to make it to heaven. Only a remnant. Only the Christians, only the Christ-like people are the ones that are remnant out of that seemingly large group of religious people. Let me ask you another question. Are you called of God, or have you already responded to His call and now chosen by God because you responded to Him? The Bible says many are called, but few are chosen. So if you want to be part of the remnant, respond to God's call in your life to the destiny that he's placed in your heart and your soul, that which you know you were born to do, and begin to follow Jesus day in and day out. In fact, in 1 Peter 1, verse 10, it says, Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and your election sure. It's up to you. First of all, it's up to God to save you. But it's up to you to cooperate with God and make your calling sure. 
by being Christ-like, by following Jesus, by relying on Jesus every day of your life, by being God-confident. I love, love, love this scripture here in Psalm 65, verses 4 through 10. Excuse me, verses 4 through 5. I'm going to say it again. I want you to write this one down and look it up for yourself. I'm, I'm memorizing these two verses. These are powerful, life-changing verses. Psalm 65, verses five, 4 through 5. Here it goes. Blessed are those you choose and bring near to live in your courts. We are filled with the good things of your house, of your holy temple. You answer us with awesome and righteous deeds, God our Savior, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas. Well, let's unpack the scripture. I mean, this is powerful, encouraging, challenging everything. It's, it's, I just love this. Right now, if you were to ask me, what's your favorite two verses in the Bible? I would say easily Psalm 65, verses 4 through 5. Let's look at this more closely. Blessed are those you choose. And we were talking about God calling you and then you responding to his call and entering into his choosing. Blessed are those you choose. Let me tell you something and hear me loud and clear. Stop letting other things choose you and let God choose you. Stop letting your distractions choose you. Stop letting your worries choose you. Stop letting your bitterness choose you. Stop letting your anger choose you. Let God choose you once and for all and and call it a day. You're on God's side once and for all. So blessed are those you choose, O Lord, and bring near to live in your courts. Let me tell you, emphasis on the first word here, let God bring you near to him. Stop trying to get near to God and let him bring you near to him with his power, with his strength. Let his spirit usher you right into his presence every morning. Stop trying so hard and let him bring you in. Man, I love that. I've been meditating, thinking on that. It goes on again in Psalm 65, verse 4 still. We are filled with the good things of your house. We are filled with the good things of your house. You were never meant to be empty. And God never meant for you to be empty. <laughs> Here's the secret to be filled. Receive, receive, receive. Let God give you one good thing. Maybe it's a revelation. Maybe it's a new attitude. Maybe it's some new newfound freedom that you never knew you had before. Maybe it's some insight from the Bible, but receive that. Hold on to it and then say, okay, God, I got one good thing from you. Give me something else. Then comes the second receive and it's layered. Don't let go of the first thing. Hold on to what he gave you first, but receive a second layer. And then receive again a third layer. Be spiritually selfish and get as much from God as you possibly can. The person who is most fulfilled in their lifetime is a person who has gotten the habit or established the habit of receiving, receiving, receiving from God. Well, you say, Steve, that's not biblical because the Bible says more blessed to give than to receive. And I would say, absolutely, but you can't give until you've received something to give. Abraham, God said, I'm going to bless you, Abraham, and then you're going to be a blessing to others. But first, Abraham, receive my blessing to you personally. Receive, receive, receive. What happens? Well, you can only receive so much. 
before you start overflowing and that's when the giving starts as you are overflowing from all the abundance of the good things that God gives us soul d deep soul blessings yes we have physical blessings as well tangible blessings but you know what the best thing is, is that soul blessing that God just pours into your heart and overflows to others. So it says, we are filled with the good things of your house, of your holy temple. You answer us from the awesome, uh, with awesome and righteous deeds. Let me tell you what, as you enter into this new realm of God's goodness, you're going to start noticing your prayers are answered every day and even multiple times a day. And your hope as a result soars, because here it says the hope of all the ends of the earth and the farthest seas. Well, jumping back, man, I'll tell you what, that was a, a blessing. <laughs> but the remnant, the remnant of Jacob will return to the Lord. You've got to make your choosing uh, sure, the, the calling of God, make that sure and enters into his choosing. You start getting blessed by all these things we just mentioned. It says in verse 22, though, of Isaiah 10, Though your people be like the sand of the sea, Israel, only a remnant will return. Destruction has been decreed, overwhelming and righteous. Because, man, these people from Judah had been evil. Evil. They were sacrificing their children in the fire. They were, they'd had an elitist mentality. They were oppressing the poor, the homeless. They weren't taking care of their own. And so God was angry. He was angry. And the Lord Almighty will carry out the destruction uh, decree upon the whole land. Well, you know, that's, that's a little depressing if you stop to think about it. But this, this earth, this world, this is not our home. This is not our ultimate place of rest retirement and eternity you know this earth is going to be destroyed and it's not going to be destroyed the way the environmentalists think it's going to be destroyed the way uh, politicians think it's going to be destroyed or the way that um, futurists are thinking that we need to um, make a provisional place in Mars just in case the earth gets too bad we can settle in Mars and no 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 the Bible is very clear. This earth is going to be destroyed, not by our own uh, means, but by heavenly fire. Let me read it to you. It's, it's crazy. In 2 Peter 3, verse 12, it says, As you look forward to the day of the Lord and speed its coming, that day will bring about the destructions of the heavens by fire. So if you're thinking about moving to Mars as a kind of a backstop, that's going to be going that's going to go faster than even the earth because it says here the heavens will be destroyed by fire and the elements will melt in the heat i'll tell you what i don't i i'm not looking for security here on earth or in this world or in my job or in my career or in any form or fashion my security is in god's the palm of god's hand that's where i want to be let's read on though Verse 24 of Isaiah 10, it says, Therefore, this is what the Lord, the Almighty uh, Lord, says, My people who live in Zion, do not be afraid of the Assyrians, who beat you with a rod and lift up a club against you as Egypt did. Very soon my anger against you will end and my wrath will be directed 
to their destructions. And again, we're trying to answer this question, how God's emotions benefit us. It goes on, the Lord Almighty will lash them with a whip, and when he is, uh, and uh, as when he struck down Midian at the, at the rock of Oreb, he will raise his staff over the waters as he did in Egypt. In that day, their burden will be lifted from your shoulders, their yoke from your neck. Now here, you can see a lot of emotion on God's part. A lot of emotion, uh, including anger. And here's, here's the statement that I'd like to make. God's emotions are the source of his action. If I don't know if you're one of these people. I've, I've been this way for a long time. I pray and I think, oh God, is God going to do anything? Did I just waste my time praying? Let me tell you what. If you want to be sure to have your prayers answered, realize that it, God's emotions are what drives him to action. Here in Isaiah 9, 7, let me read it to you. It says, Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end, speaking of the kingdom of Jesus. He will reign on David's throne throne, and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from this time on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Do we want God to get passionate, angry, joyful, concerned, compassionate, indignant, loving? Yes, because he will act on his holy and righteous emotions. You start looking at the meaning of the word zeal. Now, the word zeal is used in the Old Testament, and it's also used in the New Testament. So the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. The New Testament was translated into Greek. And so the word zeal is used both in the Hebrew and in the Greek. And and if you look at some of the translations, uh, other biblical translations of the scripture, whenever it's speaking of zeal, it translates them in, in the, uh, the passion translation, for instance, as the marvelous passions. God's zeal is his marvelous passion. In the voice translation, it, it says intense passion. So zeal in, in, in Hebrew was, could be translated either as passion, as jealousy, as anger, as envy. Then you flip over to the Greek side of things, and the Greeks used uh, the word in Greek was zealous. And um, this had a little bit more of a deepy, deeper meaning, uh, pointing to the literal uh, activity of boiling water. It, it was a warm feeling either for or against, either eagerness and enthusiasm or jealousy and rival. And so when you speak of zeal, it had positive and negative emotions. God's passion produces his action. Think about it. You as a person, when you're angry, aren't you going to act on your anger? Maybe sometimes you shouldn't, but aren't you going to? And if you're in love with somebody, isn't that going to result in some form of action? If you have compassion, aren't you going to act? If you're indignant with someone, say a teacher or principal, because you're, you believe your, stu- your uh, child has been dealt with inappropriately, you're indignant, don't you take action? That's how God is. Now, our goal isn't so much to arouse God's passion to take care of things that I'm interested in. No, I need to understand what he is passionate about and join him in his passion. 
the other day as I was praying, I felt the Holy Spirit speaking to me and saying, Stephen, I want you to know why I'm about to act. It's because of my zeal. See, God's ways are higher than our ways, and he wants to begin to show us why he does miracles, why he does the supernatural, why he intervenes divinely in certain catastrophic situations or or bad situations. Why? It's because of his zeal. His passion has been been lit up, and he's going to take action as a result. But by the same token, when I'm talking to God, I should appeal to his heart, to his justice, to his love, to his name, his identity. And that's what the psalmist does in Psalm 7, verse 6. The psalmist says, Arise, Lord, in your anger. Rise up and rage, enrage against my enemies. Awake, my God, decree justice. So here's just a couple of verses that shows how God's zeal results in God's action. And that's why we want it. We're asking the question, how does God's emotions benefit us? When God gets emotionally involved, he's going to take action on our behalf. Isaiah 37, 32 kind of demonstrates this. Lord, your hands are lifted high, but they do not see it. Let them see your zeal for your people and be put to shame. Let the fire reserved for your enemies consume them. Pretty heavy-duty stuff. Isaiah 42, 13. For out of Israel will come a remnant, out of Mount Zion a band of survivors. The zeal of the Lord will what? Accomplish this. I love this. Isaiah 59, verses 16, uh, 17, and 18. The Lord will march out like a champion, like a warrior. He will stir up his zeal with a shout. He will raise the battle cry and will triumph over his enemies. Now here's a final question. Could it be true that God's passion increases for those people who are passionate towards him? And therefore, God's intentional action is greater for those kind of people. They're passionate towards God, and so God's supernatural action towards them is more frequent. It's more powerful. It's more visible. Well, let's answer that question in Revelation 3. In other words, If God's passionate, shouldn't I be passionate? And maybe my passion even elicits more passion in him, and therefore he comes through for me more often. Revelations 3.14, verses 14 through 22, it says, "To To the angel of the church in Laodicea. Now, Laodicea is in some part of modern day Turkey, and there was a church there. And in Revelations, Jesus gave John, the apostle John, a message for the church that was located in Laodicea. And it says, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other. So, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Wow. I think God despises a lack of passion, a lack of enthusiasm, a lack of purpose. And God responds to the passionate one because he says here in verse 19, For those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Repent of what? 
Repent of not being passionate about God. Repent of not being passionate about his body, the church. Repent about not being passionate about his truth and his word. Repent about not being passionate about his death, resurrection, and salvation. Repent about not being passionate about seeing lost souls one to Jesus Christ. You know, we're passionate about all kinds of things, about politics, about how to deal with COVID, about the environment, about sports. But are we passionate about Jesus? No wonder we don't see signs and wonders, miracles, revival. We need to repent for our lack of passion towards God. John says in verse Uh, verse 20 chapter 3 there in revelations here i am jesus says here i am i stand at the door and knock if anyone will just simply hear my voice and open the door i will come in and eat with that person and that person with me well we find out in uh, jeremiah 29 13 that anybody who seeks god with all their heart will find him the passionate person will find the passionate, action-oriented God. In Jeremiah 33, 3, it says, Call to me, and I will show you great and unsearchable things that you do not know. Call means a passionate call for God. Psalms 69, 9, it says, For the zeal of your house consumes me. Get passionate about God, and you will see mighty miracles happen. Finally, just three more scriptures, and I'll let you go today, but Matthew 14, 14, it says, But when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude, and what he had, he was moved with compassion. The, the emotion of compassion moved Jesus out to that great multitude, and he healed their sick. Matthew 20, verse 34, it says, Jesus again had compassion on them. He touched their eyes. These were blind men. He touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and followed him. His That passion, that that compassion that he had, that emotion that he had, caused a miracle to happen. And then in Luke 15, verse 20, it's the story of the prodigal son. Here's a son who's living with the pigs, eating, eating the food of pigs because he'd run out of money, because he had kind of blown off his dad. He'd taken his, his inheritance and run off. It says he got up and he went to his father. When are you and I going to get up out of our lackadaisical, lazy, complacent, mediocre way of living? When are we going to get up in passion and go back to the Father? But while he was still a long ways off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion, was filled with emotion. And what did it cause the father to do? It caused him to run to the son, throw his arms around him, and kiss him. Let your passion stand you back up once again and let the passion of God begin to move mightily in your life so that you can see the supernatural, the divine, the answers to prayer that you could only dream of. Let me pray with you right now. Jesus, I pray right now, God, for my good friend who's listening to this right now, this podcast, who maybe has lacked passion, who is maybe often wondered, God, why don't you ever answer my prayers? Lord, awaken my friend. Awaken me. Awaken all of us, Lord Jesus. to, to uh, Lord, to a desire, strong desire for God. 
a strong desire to lay aside all the, the hindrances, all the distractions, all the worries, and run to the Father. Lord, help us to appeal to your emotions when we pray and say, God, you don't like this abuse. You don't like this bullying. You don't like this oppression. You don't like poverty. You don't like sickness. Lord, arise in your emotion and answer powerfully on our behalf. Lord, help us to begin to see how you work, how you operate. Lord Jesus, you're driven to action by your emotions. And I thank you, Heavenly Father, for it. In your name I pray. Amen. God richly bless you. Thank you.